Thank you so much for being here. I want to echo what has already been said about uh, your attendance here this morning. It would have been really easy to get up and to look outside and go, nope, I don't think so. Mm -mm. Uh, This is being providentially hindered. You guys, you've been around church for a while. Remember that? That phrase uh, used to talk about uh, always being sure to, to come to services unless you are providentially hindered. Uh, now, we didn't really know what that meant, but it meant that God was hindering you. If we'd understood that, we might not have said it so often, but that's what providentially hindered is. You look out this morning, and you're like, nope, God just doesn't want me to be there. Pretty sure about that. Now, here's who I'm glad we're here today. Our parking attendants. Weren't you glad to see those guys and gals out there? Today? Let's give them a round of applause, why don't we? Man. They were out there with their hoodies up and with umbrellas and their signs. And, you know, did you feel a little guilty as you pulled in? Did you? How many of you went and parked in the back today just because you said, if they can stand out in the rain, I can walk a little further, right? You felt a little guilty. Hey, we appreciate uh, our parking volunteers and for helping us with that. And uh, especially on days like today. Oh, it's a nasty day outside. Um, really is. But we are so glad that, um, that you are here and that you are part of our time of encouragement today. And we hope that the time you've already been here with us has been something that has, has served to build you up. We're talking about a gallery of grace during our times of study. When we come together for our weekly gatherings right now, a gallery of grace, we're just walking through Scripture and stopping it in different rooms and, and looking at the portraits that the writers have painted. Portraits of men and women who, who God poured His grace upon so that they might be able to sustain their ministry, so that they might be able to sustain their faith. In some instances, as we'll see today, so that they might be able to sustain their life. And we're walking through and looking at these pictures because we mentioned last week that as we look into the gallery of Scripture, what we begin to see is not just the portraits of the men and women who were there, we end up seeing our own picture because the message of Scripture begins to speak to us and we see ourselves right there in the pages. And so I hope as we walk through the gallery today, I hope that you're going to find yourself. And I hope that as you see yourself, God will use that moment in order to, again, sustain you with His with His grace. When I was in the sixth grade, I wanted to quit beginner band. I did. How many of you uh, were in beginner band? I don't know if they called it that, but how many of you were in band in elementary school? We got any band geeks here? On it. Go ahead. Go ahead. On it, band geeks. Go ahead. Get your hand up. We just got a few. All right. We just got a few. I was in the band in sixth grade, and I was all excited because on that particular day when I was in sixth grade, they announced that the the band director from the middle school was at our school, and he had brought a multitude of instruments, and all the sixth graders were going to have an opportunity to go and try out different instruments to see which one they might want to play in the sixth grade band. Now, I had grown up watching Happy Days. And I remember Richie Cunningham playing the saxophone, and I thought, that is cool. I mean, that is one cool dude. And so I remember strolling into the lunchroom, and there I walked in, and all these instruments were laid out, and 
And, and I walked over and there was this nice, beautiful brass saxophone that was lying on the table and I got in line and I stood there to give, to give my tryout on this saxophone. And I can still remember putting that reed into my mouth and tightening up my armature and getting my lips really good and I went and the band director said let me have that son and he took it from me and laid it back on the table and he said why don't we come on down here a little bit and there were some brass instruments that were laying here that uh, you had a trumpet and you had the little, little mouthpiece that goes in the trumpet. And, and he gave me that. And, and he said, put this on your lips. And, and I took that little mouthpiece and I put it on my lips. And he said, now, and I thought he was going to say blow. And he goes, oh, that's not going to work. And he reached up and took that and set it down. And, and we kept moving down. And the mouthpieces and the instruments kept getting larger. And, and finally, we stopped on one that looked like an oil funnel. The mouthpiece, that is, not the instrument. And he took this silver funnel-looking thing and put it up to my mouth, and I, I thought it took up my entire face. And he said, now, go ahead and, and blow into that. And, and I just puffed out my lips, and he said, that's perfect. You're going to be our low brass player. He said, you're going to play something called the baritone. Well, I thought that sounded pretty cool. And I looked on the table and I said, where is the baritone? And he said, I didn't have enough room in my car to bring it. Hmm. He said, but you wait until next week and, and I'll bring it for you. Now, all the other boys and girls, they were carrying their little flute and they had their little trumpet case and my my neighbor down the road he got his saxophone and he's carrying it home but I get to wait a week to get my baritone and I was I was excited I was the only one that I had to wait I was the only one that had a special instrument that was coming to me now I don't know how many of you know what a baritone is some people call it a mini tuba all right but when you're in the sixth grade, it is the largest instrument in mankind. And so when he brings this out to me the next week, literally the case was longer than I was tall. And when I went to carry it home that day, I remember having to open up the back seat and push it into the car. All the days forward, I would arrive at school, get out of the car, open up the back seat, crawl in, and have to start pulling out. Those little helpers that help you open the door, you know, they would have to reach in and pull me out of the car to get this big case with the baritone out. And then I would go into band class and everybody else would be sitting there opening up their instruments in front of them, putting their case under the seat. Mine was in the corner. Luckily, I burned all the pictures from that time period. But this is actually kind of what it looked like. Yeah. That's very similar. That's very similar. And, and so I wanted to quit. I did. I, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I had this big honking case and this big instrument that sat in my, in my lap. And, and then when everybody else got to play, Mary had a little lamb. 
Oh, not that one I got to play. I got to go, boom, boom. And the band director said, it's the most important part of the whole song. He said, you, you built the foundation. And all those other things are just on top of it. You got the foundation. Bong. <laughs> and I wanted to quit. I did. But my parents, I mean, they were raised in that generation where you didn't quit anything unless your arm fell off. I mean, if, if your arm fell off, you could quit. Otherwise, you had to stay and you had to stick it out. And so for the rest of sixth grade, I pulled my baritone along with all the other kids. We go, what is in there? A dead body? What is that? And I survived. I made it, but I wanted to quit. And truth of the matter is, we have all felt the urge to quit at some time in our life. We've all felt the urge to quit. We laugh when it's a baritone in the sixth grade. But what if it's your ministry? What if it's your marriage? What if it's your job? What if it's church? You just want to quit. You're tired. You're frustrated. You did everything that was asked of you, but it seems like it didn't matter. You're embarrassed. You name the emotion that you feel. You name the reason why you've come to this point. But you understand what it means. There are times in your life where you get to a point where you just throw your hands up and you just want to say, I'm done. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to keep explaining myself over and over. I don't want to be reminded of my past. I don't want to have to go through with this each and every morning, walking through those doors, seeing the same people, having the same mound of paperwork, all the emails to answer, all the phone calls to return. I'm done. I quit. Remember feeling that way about 15 years ago. I came to a point in my life where I decided I wanted to quit preaching. You see, I had been working for a, a great congregation, been working with a great group of people in South Alabama. But over the last year, I had had to walk with two different families through cancer diagnosis. And I walked with two different families through the diagnosis of the cancer, through the treatment of the cancer, and then finally the victory of cancer. And after dealing with that, with those individuals and pouring myself into their lives and into their pain and their heartache and their grief, I remember waking up one Sunday morning and I said, I'm done. I didn't want to get up and preach. I, I couldn't think of anything good to say. I could not think of anything helpful for the members of that congregation. More than that, I could not think of anything that was helpful for me. Even though I had been in ministry for over 10 years and Yes, I, I knew all the different passages, and I'd walked through the gallery of grace, and I had seen the different pictures, but at that moment, at that time in my life, the frustration, the emotion of not being able, I felt like to help in a way that was more beneficial, it just took over. And I said, I just think I want to 
So I called up a member of the congregation that owned a tire business there in town and he came and picked me up and we went riding around and I said, do you need anybody to work in your warehouse and just move tires? I said, I can move tires. I can pick up tires and move them from one location to the next. That's, that's what I want to do. Just let me move tires. And as we rode around town, he talked to me about, he talked to me about the grace of God. And how that it's not only that which saves you, it's also that which sustains you. And it's that message that I want to share with you this morning. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's in your Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want us to look at the gallery today and, and see a man by the name of Elijah. Now, years later, James would write in his New Testament letter that Elijah was a man just like us. He's a man just like us. And I'm glad he said that because of what we'll find here in Scripture. Now, let me give you a little background. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah is told by God to go to the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. God's people had separated at this time. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the kings of Israel were all evil individuals. And Elijah was a prophet there to Israel, and God said, I want you to go, and I want you to tell the king that it's not going to rain. It is not going to rain until you say that it's time. So Elijah goes, and he tells the king, it's not going to rain until the word comes from me. And then the Lord takes him and removes him from the scene for three years. For three years, he's gone. When he returns, he comes back to challenge those who have turned to false gods, those who are worshiping the God of of Baal, the false god of Baal. And so you might remember if you've heard this particular story before, one that is very common, I guess, if you've been in Bible class and you've heard things about Elijah, you've heard about his confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and how he says, listen, why don't we set up two different altars and we'll ask for each of our gods to bring down fire and the one who sends fire is the one that's the true God. So the prophets of Baal make their altar and then they begin to go around calling on the name of their God and goddesses and nothing is happening. They're cutting themselves. They're throwing themselves down on the ground. And Elijah, because he is blessed with the spiritual gift of sarcasm, says, maybe your God is just sleeping. Or or maybe he's gone away. Maybe he just can't hear you. Just yell a little bit louder. Well, it doesn't matter how much Elijah eggs them on. It doesn't matter how loud they yell. Nothing takes place. And so Elijah says, all right, now it's my turn. And he goes and sets up the altar of God that has been destroyed, and he puts the sacrifice on it. And then he says, hey, now I want you guys to douse it with water. Now remember, it hasn't been raining for three years. And so he's asking them to go and take the the most precious commodity that they have in their land, and they put it on the altar. And he asked for the Lord to send down fire 
Not so Elijah could be praised, but so God could. And the text says that fire came from heaven and it lapped up. I love the old King James. It lapped up the water that was in the trench around the altar and it destroyed everything that was there upon the altar. It was then after that great triumph for Elijah that he goes back to the king of Israel, Ahab, and he says, you need to go get something to eat and drink because there's a mighty rainstorm coming. He says, I'm about to pray. He says, I'm about to pray, and when I pray, the rains are going to come, and you better go and get ready. And Elijah goes up on a mountain, and he begins to pray, and he sends his servant to look for the rain cloud. On the seventh time, the servant goes, and he sees this small little cloud coming up in the distance, and he says, go tell Ahab, he better run. He better get in his chariot. He better hurry up, and he better get back home, or he's going to get stuck in the rain. And the sky turns dark, and the clouds are black, and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And this is where the first occurrence of the flash appears in the Bible. Those of you who are superhero fans, all right? Superhero fans, there in 1 Kings chapter 18, at the very end, it says, the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. He has prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. He has asked for fire to come to prove who God truly is, and fire came. He has prayed that it would rain, and it rained. And he is given super strength from God that he could outrun a chariot. And then we get to the crux of our story. It says in chapter 19, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, that was his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow if I have not killed you just as you killed them. Have you seen before how leaders are often the victims of their own success? How when things are going well and you're accomplishing your goals, you're, you're meeting the different criteria that you had, the ministry is flourishing, things are really going well. That oftentimes leaders are the victims of their own success because they, they see how well things are going. And then when all of a sudden, maybe they get some bad news. There's a downturn in the economy. They don't get the project finished on time. All of a sudden, the numbers go a little lower on the boards out in front of the church house. And all of a sudden, there's a depression that begins to set in. There's a fear that begins to come over you. Because maybe as a leader, all you've known is success. You've had the Midas touch, and everything you have laid your hand to has worked up until now. And now you're having difficulty with your kids. Or now you're not able to get the project finished. Or now, no matter what it seems, you cannot keep from giving in to that temptation over and over. Now, there was a time where it seemed like everything you did worked. Every prayer you prayed was answered. Every Bible study that you led, everybody came to and told you what a great leader, what a great teacher you were. You were an elder. You were a deacon. You were a ministry leader. You were prominent in the community. And everything you did was a success until now. And now, 
maybe even because of your own success. Maybe others have looked at you and said, you know what, we need to move her out of the way. We don't need, she's going to get in our way if she stays here in this role. Maybe someone looks at you and says, you know what, he's just too excited. He's just too on fire. We need to move him away. Because of your own success, maybe others have put the target on you. You say, hey, well, nobody's out to get me. Just remember, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean there's nobody out to get you. You can think about that on the way home. Notice Elijah's response. It says he was afraid and fled for his life. He was afraid. He's prayed that it wouldn't rain, it wouldn't rain. He prayed it would and it rained. He's called down fire. He has outrun chariots. But when he hears that his life is at stake, instead of praying, instead of standing up and calling on the name of the Lord, Elijah was a man just like you. And Elijah was a man just like me. He was human. And so he was afraid and he fled for his life. And he went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he would die. And here's what he said. I've had enough, Lord. I quit. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Say, how could somebody who had done something so great as Elijah had done, all of a sudden go from being on the mountaintop to deep in the valley saying, you know what, I quit. And the answer is, you know what the answer is. Because you've been in his shoes. You've felt those moments. And you know how easy it is to eat some plums, the poor little old me's. And you sit there under your broom tree and you eat the plums and, and you talk about the things that you wanted to do and where you thought you would be at this time in your life and how much money you would have and the trips that you would have taken and the way everything would have come together and all the ease that you would have and all the things that you wanted to do, and if everybody would just listen to you, how it would be different, and why nobody else believes in you, and why no one else has your back, and all these poor little old me's. You know what that's like to say, I've had enough. I'm no better than those who came before me. They didn't achieve anything, and, and neither will I. And so he quits, and he says, the text says that he just lays down and he sleeps. He lays down and he sleeps under the broom tree, but then while he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him to get up and eat. He says, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on some hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and, and then he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up, eat some more, or your journey ahead will be too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. Write down in your glory, praise, and honor, if you would, that God's grace sustains you during times of depression and doubt. Isaiah says, or Elijah says, I've had enough. Elijah says, I've had enough. I'm tired. I'm worn out. 
Now I just want to quit. And you know, God's could have said, okay. You know, you've worked really hard. You've done a great job. I appreciate your effort. You know, that's right. You've earned it. Go and retire. Go and relax. Go and take a little bit of a vacation. Everything is going to be okay. But here's what God does. He sends a messenger of grace to Elijah to strengthen him so that he might complete the journey that he's on. And I truly believe that God still sends messengers of grace today. He does. You don't know any of these people, but I know in my life there's been individuals, Kenneth and Alice Childry, Ronnie and Wynette Mullins. There's been the whole church of Christ in Talladega, Alabama. There's been Miss Thelma Harding with her peanut brittle. There's been Mr. Charlie and Miss Cheryl Sin who would take care of not only our four-legged critters, but our two-legged ones when we needed a night out on the town. Individuals who are messengers of God's grace who came at just the right time, who poured their lives into myself, into my wife, into my children. And you've experienced that. You could name off people whom God has sent, who he has used to give you a little bit of bread, individuals who have strengthened you with water during times when you thought that it was going to be over, where it wasn't going to be able, you weren't going to be able to continue anymore. You know what that's like. You know who they are. Maybe it was a ministry. Maybe you were going through your divorce and you found a group of ladies and gentlemen who had already been through the same thing that you were going through and they opened their arms wide to you and said, let's, let's pray and let's heal together. Maybe you found it in Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you found it because of the difficulty you were having in dealing with temptations and you went and you were part of a group, a group that did not judge, a group that did not question, a group that was just glad to see your mug smiling back at them each and every week when you came. And you don't see them as men or women, you see them as messengers of grace. Maybe it's a church family, maybe it's a neighbor's family, maybe it's one individual that only you know about, but God is still sending messengers of grace. I think about the words in the New Testament text. In 2 Timothy, I was thinking about this as we were singing earlier this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It says, this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And in his faithfulness, he sends the messengers of grace. Now, I'm not telling you that you don't need to run every once in a while. I'm not saying that there aren't opportunities that come where you need to to get away and you need to have times of refreshing. But here's the message that I think we learned from Elijah. When you feel the need to run, you run toward God. You run toward God. He hears that there is a price on his head and so he goes to the furthest city in Judah 
which is in the southern kingdom. And then he goes from there over 250 more miles to the Mount of God. And he goes there seeking the Lord, seeking to be restored, seeking something, anything, God. Can you help me in my midst of despair and in my midst of depression? And let's just be honest, we enjoy running. And we run to bad relationships, and we run to poor choices, and we run into temptation often, and we run to the bottle, and we run to pills, and we run to anything that we think can take away the pain. But if you must run, run toward God. Run toward God and allow Him to give you strength. I asked Derek to choose a couple of songs for us this morning. And to put them right here in the middle of what we're talking about because I truly believe that there are some of you here this morning that you ran toward God to get here. That you needed to be with other people of like faith. And so you ran to be here even in the midst of the pouring rain. And so we're just going to sing a couple of songs just, just for us to have some time with God. And I want to give you permission to have your time. And if that means you need to stand while we're singing, you stand. If that means you need to, to stay seated, you stay seated. If you need to get down and get down on a knee or two, you do that. If you know the answer to, to who gives you strength, then you just put that hand up, just like you used to do in school when you knew the answer. Remember that? Who knows the answer? You raise your hand. If you know the answer from where your strength comes, and you need to put that hand up, you just go ahead and do that. If you don't sing, if you don't need to sing, if you can't sing, then you just sit and listen to those who are singing around you. Before you quit, run to God. Father, I ask I ask for your strength to be upon this room. For there are people here who are right on the verge of throwing up their hands and quitting. They're tired. They're frustrated. They wear scars that nobody else can see. And I ask for your strength that they might be built up in order that they might return to their marriage. They might return to their family. They can get up and go to work tomorrow that they can, that they can step back into ministry. They can get back into your word that they can begin to pray again. Ask for your strength that they might be able to Continue to be a voice of grace. And I ask for your strength for those who are messengers this morning. Those whom you have sent to, to put your arms around us. Those who you have sent to, to pour their life into ours. To hold up our hands. To remind us that we are not alone. Give them strength so they do not become weary in their well-doing. 
Allow them to continue to be prayer warriors. Allow them to continue to love. Allow them to continue to fight and be strong for those who are around them. Father, I ask for your strength for those who physically it's just been a difficult few months. Fighting with, through the chemotherapy sessions and going on the trips to the doctor and, and not knowing if things are going to be well and not knowing what the next trip is going to bring. And it can be easy just to throw in the towel and say, forget it. Fill them with your spirit. Sustain them through the pain, the hurt, the sleepless nights, the upset stomachs, the headaches. And Father, I pray for your strength for those who have run here today, who have thrown up their hands and said, you know what, I quit. But they came back one more time. They've come to you. Will you sustain them with your grace? Will you let them know that they are not alone? Will you let them know that they still have a future in your service? That no matter the sin, that Father, no matter the pain, no matter the heartache, you still have a role for them. And may we all leave here today with a new sense, a perspective, a new way of looking at our life, understanding that we are not alone and that we have strength from you. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. And together as a church we say, Amen. So what are you doing here, Elijah? And that's the question that the Lord asked when he made it to the mountain of God. He says, why are you here? And I want you to listen to what Elijah says. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. And they've torn down your altars, and they have killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I want you to hear the pain, and I want you to hear the emotion, and I want you to hear the frustration. And God says, I want you to go stand before me on this mountain. And Elijah goes and stands, and there is a mighty wind that blows, but the text says God wasn't in the wind. And that there was a fire that came, but he wasn't in the fire. There was an earthquake that rattled everything around him, but he, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a sound of a gentle whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't that how God works sometimes? We expect it's going to be the mighty thing that turns us around. We think that it's going to take the heavens opening up for us to ever engage again, for our minds to change, for our faith to be restored. And yet more often than not, it's just a gentle whisper. It's a song that you hear on the radio. It's a billboard that you pass by. It's watching someone else give a cup of water to someone who is homeless and standing on the streets of Chattanooga. It's the gentle whisper of a friend who comes to you and says, I've heard you're going through a tough time and I want to pray with you. It's the gentle whisper of a message that you receive on Facebook. It's an email that comes, a text message at just the right time when you're standing around an open grave. And God says, what are you doing? And I want you to listen to what he says again. And it's the same words... But in my mind, I I want to think that he said these words differently. And I don't know. This is just someone who's wanting to quit before speaking, all right? But in my mind, after he has heard the whisper, and after the second time he's been asked, why are you here? I hear him saying, I have zealously served God Almighty. And those people of Israel, they've broken your covenant and they've torn down your altar and they've killed all of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. I hear it with a sense of expectation. I hear him talking with a sense of faith. And God's response He says, go back. Go back. Go back because there's 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. Go back. Don't quit. You're not alone. It's time for you to go back. It's time for you to go back because you're not alone. And can I just demonstrate as we close that this is true this morning? If you have ever gone through a fight with cancer and are standing here as a survivor, would you stand up this morning? You see, we have men and women who right now are going through... They're going through surgeries for cancer. Don't sit down if you don't mind. Just keep standing. We have men and women right now who are going through surgeries for cancer who are dealing with chemotherapy and radiation, and they need to be reminded to go back, and they're not alone. And and I want to know, is there anybody here who you received, maybe it wasn't bread or water, but you received maybe some groceries or there was an anonymous check, there was an anonymous gift that was given to you when you were going through a time of need and you don't really know where it's come from, but somebody reached out and did something for you when you need it the most. Is there anybody here in the room this morning like that? 
If you would stand. We got any former elders here in this room that knows what it means to bear the scars of serving in the community of faith? We got any former elders in the room? We got any wives of elders? Anybody currently serving as an elder or your wife is with you? Would you stand right now? You know what it means to take on the responsibility? Anybody in here ever been a ministry leader? You've been responsible for teaching a Bible class. You've been a deacon. You've worked in outreach. You've worked in some type of ministry. You ever been a part of that? If you would, please stand. Church, do you hear the message of God? Go back because you are not alone. And if you are here this morning and you have thrown up your hands at some point in time and you have quit and you have said, there's nobody else who is faithful, there's nobody else who cares, there's nobody else who puts God first. If you believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God this morning and you're willing to live your life for Him, would you please stand up? Go back because you are not alone. And if you need to run, then you run this morning and you come to the mountain of God. You come to the Lord and you fall down before him and you pray that you might be strengthened. Maybe you need to come and say, you know, I, I used to be an elder and I walked away. I used to be a Bible teacher. I was in ministry and I've turned, I turned away. I need to come back. I need the forgiveness of God. And I haven't been there for my family. I haven't been there for my children. I haven't been there for my coworkers, for my neighbors. And I need to get re-engaged. Then don't just stand. Run and run to God as together we stand and sing.